Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Good morning, good morning, Fusion Church. How are my brothers and sisters doing today? I'm so excited for soap this morning, and you know why? Because we're in Hebrews. Hebrews 1 today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, However, we're not taking a break from the Old Testament. Okay. So we do have a goal of getting through every book of the Bible. And we just knocked out Genesis and Exodus. And for the next two months, October, November, we're going to be doing Hebrews and Leviticus. Right. Um, Two reasons. One, um, because we got to get through Leviticus still. Right. We're going to get through it, but Hebrews um, is sometimes like the uh, uh, the New Testament version of Leviticus. That makes sense. Like Hebrews confirms a lot of what Leviticus says. So when when we put this together, it was okay. Let's let's intersperse Hebrews and Leviticus. And as we're going through it, we're going to just going to see more of God's confirmation. Okay, um, so it's really really interesting when. When I was putting it together and studying Hebrews and Leviticus, it's like, okay, they do, they, they, they match up, right? The writer of Hebrews, who we're gonna we're gonna see here in a second, um, we don't really know who the author is of Hebrews, but uh confirms a lot of the Old Testament, confirms a lot of what Leviticus is saying. Um, so a little bit of a break, but we're still gonna get get deep into the, the weeds and then um in December we have Christmas, so we're gonna have more of a Christmas, you know advent type soap plan um so a little so a little bit of a break from the hard nose just, just grinding out some of the books of the bible um but i promise you we are going to get through all the books of the bible amen so hebrews 1 i'm going to pray and we're going to jump right into it father we love you we just we just thank you for this time lord god we we thank you because this is the day that you have made we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. So Father, I pray that during this time, Lord God, your your spirit will just be felt amongst everyone who's on this call, everyone who listens to the podcast later, um, listens to the blog later, Lord Father, and and just just reveal things to us, Father. I pray that that it'll be your words that are heard, but not mine, Lord. And I pray that everyone can just receive, receive a fresh word from you, fresh manna from you this morning. Lord, we praise you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's give it a stretch. Hebrews 1. Um, I am reading from the New King James Version. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. 
And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirit and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning lay the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies a footstool? Are they not all ministry spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Amen. Amen. All right. Get that stretch in. Drink that Bustelo. All right. Verse one, God. That's how it starts. God. The book of Hebrews begins with, with no mention of the author, only of God. The human author of the Hebrews, which again, we don't really know, remains unknown. But the, the book's inspiration by the Holy Spirit is very evident. You know, the, those theologians will say that Paul wrote in Hebrew and Luke translated it into Greek. And perhaps the majority of the Bible teachers and commentators believe the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews without attaching his name to it. But the, but no matter who the human author of Hebrews was, there is there are indications that it was written fairly early um, in the New Testament period, right around 80, 67 to 69. Um, the reference, there's a reference to Timothy um, that places it fairly early. That's in the chapter 13 of Hebrews. Uh, there's la lack of present uh, persecution. No, there's no real persecution mentioned in Hebrews. Um, so that also puts it fairly early. And uh, there's, there's lack of any reference to the destruction of the temple, which took place in AD 70, when the when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. Um, and since the author of Hebrews was so concerned with the passing of the old covenant, it seems unlikely that he, he would have ignored that destruction of a temple if it had already happened. You know, if, if it happened after AD 70, he probably would have mentioned it. Um, there's no attempt to prove God's existence. All right. It starts with God. Right. So because because the scripture assumes that we've already learned of God's existence and and some of his apt attributes from nature, uh, the writer of Hebrews knew that God existed and that he spoke to man in the past. Charles Spurgeon, um, well-known theologian that um, myself and, and a few others often quote whenever we're presenting the soap in the morning, said deity is not to be explained, but to be adored. And the sonship of Christ is to be accepted as a truth of revelation to be apprehended by faith, though it cannot be comprehended by understanding. To be apprehended by faith, though it cannot be comp comprehended by understanding. That's deep because when we try to wrap our minds around God, who God is, right? By our human minds. When we, how does it make sense through our human mind that God always was? doesn't make sense right at all because everything has a beginning everything has an end but god doesn't make sense right but by faith we believe that that's true and you know what i would rather serve a god that i don't fully understand 
that is beyond comprehension, that cannot be put into a box. Because if we could understand God, why are we worshiping him? If we could understand all of the attributes, all the characteristics, everything that makes God who God is, if we could understand that, what's the purpose for having a God? What's the purpose for serving a God? I would rather have a God that doesn't make any sense. When you talk about how God, you know, he's omnipresent, omniscient, you know, he, he's all these things. But if we can put, if we can take God and you take any other one of the, you know, false gods are in the world, all the different religions and everything, there's a very clear cut understanding of what their particular gods are, but not our God. It says who at various times and in different ways spoke the revelation given all throughout the Old Testament through the prophets was brought in many, many ways through stories and prophetic confrontations and Psalms and Proverbs and all these things. And God spoke in a variety of ways throughout the Old Testament. You know, Moses with the burning bush and, and Elijah with a still small voice and Isaiah through heavenly visions and Hosea, you know, he spoke through a family crisis he was going through. And, and but using, uh, if we use light as an illustration, we may say that that God spoke in, in, in a spectrum in the Old Testament. But Jesus is the prism that collected all those bands of light and focused them into one pure being. This reference to, to the Old Testament movie is going to be repeated throughout Hebrews because Hebrews is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. In fact, there's 29 quotes and 53 allusions within the book of, of Hebrews of the Old Testament. Hebrews just points back and gives confirmation. Verse 2 says these last days. This, this term, the last days, refers to the Messiah. It says, spoken to us. This is, this is the first mention of the readers, us, who are, who are reading the book of Hebrews today. You know, uh, Hebrews is different from all the other New Testament books. It, it begins like an essay. It continues as a sermon and, and ends like a letter. It's written to Christians with a Jewish background but it was also written to a Greek frame of mind with its analysis of Jesus as the ultimate reality. But Hebrews is basically a book that urges discouraged Christians to continue strong with Jesus in light of the complete superiority of who he is and what Jesus did for us. It says spoken to us by his son. Again, in verse two, Jesus, he didn't just bring the message from the father to us. Jesus is the message from the Father. He's, he's far more than, than the latest or the best prophet to be around. He has revealed something that no prophet ever could. The revelation from Jesus was unique. It wasn't purely God's message. It was also God's personality coming through the message. The personality of Paul and Peter and John and all the other writers it's clear in their writings. You could tell in the way, you know, and their style of writing that, you know, they, they put some of themselves in it, you know, not that they changed anything or it's like their particular book, but, you know, if you're writing something, it's, you can have your personality, right? Think about it like this. You, if you can, you can have, you know, five preachers preach the same message five times and you're going to have five different messages, right? But the core of what, what, what we're speaking is the same. It's the same thing. Yet in the revelation of Jesus, we see the personality of God. 
The book, the Hebrews doesn't just rep, uh, present Jesus speaking of himself. There's a sense in which the son does not speak in Hebrews, but the father speaks about the son. Hebrews is, is God, the father telling us what God, the son is all about. Because Jesus is the heir of all things, it says. This begins a, a glorious section describing Jesus. First as the heir of all things. And this is the idea that, that Jesus is preeminent. It's connected to Jesus standing as firstborn over all of creation. It says he made the worlds. The ancient Greek word um, is translated for world is aeon. The English word is eons. So it says, so in this essence, it doesn't just say he made the worlds. He made the eons. He made more than the material world. He also made the very ages. History itself is the creation of the son of God. Again, human minds, this doesn't make sense. But through faith, we know that we serve a God that can do all things. All things are possible with God. Verse three says the brightness of his glory. Jesus, Jesus is the brightness of the father's glory. The ancient Greek word for brightness is apagasma, and it speaks of the radiance that shines from a source of light. Jesus is the beam of God's glory. So we've never seen the sun, right? I mean, you can look at the sun, but you don't really see the sun because it's so bright. But, but we see the rays of, his, of its light as, it, as it come, they come down to us. Just like we have never seen God the Father, but we have seen him through the rays of the Son of God. We know that when we go to glory and we're in heaven, there is no light source. There's no sun. There's no moon. There's no stars. Our light is Jesus. The light of heaven is himself, his presence, which is everywhere. It says the express image of his person, the ideas of an exact likeness. Jesus exactly represents God to us. And he says he purged our sins. We know that Jesus is... Uh, brings great power and wisdom. Now we know that he's also a being of great love who purged guilt and shame from our sins. And he, he did this himself, showing that no one else could do it for us. And we could not do it for ourselves. We could not save ourselves. Only Jesus could do it for us. And it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is a position of majesty, of honor, of glory. End of a finished work. The position that Jesus sits, you know, is, is far above all of creation. Verse four says, having become so much better than the angels. This description of Jesus shows us that he is far superior than any angelic being. This tells us that Jesus became better than the angels. We can say that he's eternally better than the angels, but he also became better than the angels. He became better in the same in the, in the sense that he was made perfect through his sufferings. Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting for him for whom, all, for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. More excellent than, more excellent than they, excuse me. Jesus' superior status is demonstrated by a superior name, not merely a title, but a description of his nature and character. See, the Old Testament, you know, came through the being of Moses. But a better covenant came by the better being of Jesus. Moses brought the old covenant. 
Jesus brings the new covenant, which is so much, so much great, greater than that. First century Christ, uh, uh, first, excuse me, first century Jews might think that the gospel came at the hands of mere men, but in truth, the gospel came by Jesus, who is superior than the angels. There was a dangerous tendency um, to worship angels in the early church. Colossians 2.18 says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels. Hebrews shows that Jesus is high above any other angel. It says in verse 5, you are my son. Psalm 2.7 shows that the God the Father called Jesus son. He says, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This shows, again, that Jesus is greater than all the angels. No angel has ever been given the title of son which shows his elevated status above all of them. Today I have begotten you. Begotten, the word begotten speaks of the equality between father and son. It means that the father and son are the same being. It's like Jesus is, is an exact copy of, of God. He is God. So when you're talking to Jesus, you're talking to God. Verse six, when he again brings the firstborn, Again, the word, the word was used both as an idea and to designate um, the one born first. Since the firstborn of any family in those days was first in line and received the position of favor and honor, the title of firstborn could indicate that someone was of the highest position in honor. Yet, many of those not born first in the Bible are given the title of firstborn. David, King David, is a prime example. He was given the title of firstborn, yet he was the last of all his brothers. Psalm 89, 27 says, also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Let all the angels of God worship him. It goes on to say, Jesus is superior because he's the object of angelic worship. He is, he is not uh, an angelic worshiper. He is the object of angelic worship. Verse 8, but to the son, he says, Again, the emphasis is that God the Father says things to God that are never said to angelic beings. Psalm 45, 6 and, uh, 6 and 7 plainly says that God the Father calls the Son God as well. When the first person of the Trinity spoke to the second person of the Trinity, he called him God. Jesus is the true living God, brothers and sisters, called here by God the Father. He was called he was called God also by John in 1 John 1, 1, by Thomas in John 20, and by Paul in the book of, book of Titus. He is God. Verse 9 says, therefore, God, your God has anointed you. This, this passage shows a striking interaction between the persons of the Trinity. God, your God, speaks of God the Father and his position of authority over the second person of the Trinity. The word you refers to the son. And the word anointed has in mind the, the, the ministry and presence of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So while the, the, the idea of the Trinity is never spoken, like the, excuse me, the words of the Trinity are never uh, spoken in the Bible. The idea of the Trinity is all over the place. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one. They are the same person. You, Lord, in the beginning, verse 10. Psalm 102, 25 shows that the Son is not only called God, but also Lord. 
Jesus is also called Yahweh. And Yahweh is, is, is the word for God, for Lord, that the ancient Hebrews used to say. And the, the, the son is, again, he's, he's described with the attributes and, and terms that, that only belong to God. This shows that Jesus Christ is also the creator. Where it says, you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundations of the earth. Yahweh, Jesus, created the earth, created all of this. And also, according to Isaiah 45, Yahweh is called the creator of everything. So Jesus is not just in the New Testament, brothers and sisters. Jesus is all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible. Every book we can point and see Jesus at work. They will perish, verse 11, but you remain. This shows that Jesus Christ is self-existent. Verse 12, like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. This shows that, that Jesus is sovereign with authority over all creation and over all of history. You are the same, verse 12. This shows that Jesus Christ is immutable, unchanging, and eternal. Your years will not fail. Verse 13 says, but to which of the angels has he ever said? Okay, so now this is the, for the seventh time. The seventh time already. The writer of Hebrews demonstrate that Jesus the Messiah is far superior to any angelic being. It says, sit at my right hand. Psalms 110 says the Messiah has, has this exalted place and posture in, in heaven. Anyone who sits in the divine presence shows that they have the perfect right to be there. There are no seats for angels around the throne. Nowhere does it say in the Bible around, around the throne of God that there are angels sitting down. It talks about the elders sitting around and talks about Jesus sitting at the, 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 the right hand of the Father. But what are, the, what are the angels doing? They're busy praising God and serving him. Jesus can, at the invitation of the Father, sit at the right hand of, uh, uh, of the Lord. That's where he sits. And the angels, they just worship. That's all they do is worship. When we looked, when we were looking at the Ark of the Covenant and throughout Exodus, and it was talking about the cherubim and how, how at the um, either end of the tabernacle, there was uh, an angel, a cherubim, and they're facing each other. And that's where the presence of God would sit. That's where the, 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 where, where the, the sacrifice was placed. That's where, that's where God would sit. And the Bible says that the angels, all they do is worship saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. And the idea is that you have the angel, like one angel saying, holy, holy, holy. And the other angel repeating it, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, and that's all. And, and then they're worshiping. And right there, that's where the presence. The word says that he inhabits the praises of his people, right? So that's what we do when we worship. When we're worshiping, brothers and sisters, and our worship is greater than the angels. Why is it greater? Because the angels have been in the presence of God. They are in heaven. But through faith, we believe that God is with us. Through faith, we worship. In the beginning, I said how, how difficult it is to comprehend 
who God is and what God is and how long God's been around and all the thing, things that God does for us. It's hard for us through our, through our, our human minds to comprehend. And that's where faith comes in. So when you're worshiping, brothers and sisters, you're doing more than just singing a song. You're doing more than just dancing, like what Pop does and Doug when, when, when they're in the word. And yeah, that's right, Doug. You know, they're 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 exercising their faith and they're worshiping this, this, this God that cannot be comprehended. And through our worship, brothers and sisters, the more that we worship, the more that we cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the more that his presence comes down and dwells among us, the more that this happens, the greater understanding we begin to have. More of an understanding we begin, begin to have who he is. And brothers and sisters, we will never get there. While we're in this human form, while we're wearing this flesh suit every single day, we're not going to fully understand it. But by faith, by faith and through worship, of this man, Jesus Christ, and believing everything that he did for us and believing that he came as the perfect sacrifice and he died for us. And he did something that we do not deserve. We did not deserve. We don't deserve salvation. But he willingly came down and took on our sin. He became human. He became a man and he went to the cross willingly, willingly. I love you guys. I'm not willingly doing anything to save you. Sorry, ain't gonna happen. But Jesus came and we worship him. And we worship him. How do people ask all the question all the time? How do we know that God is speaking? How do we know that God's talking to me? How do I know if God's given me a word? And I would ask you the question. How much time are you spending with him? How much time are you worshiping him? How much time are you getting into the word? How much time? Well, um, as soon as you start any, anything with, well, um, you ain't doing what you're supposed to be doing. But I promise you, the more time you're in this word, the more time you're spending with Jesus, the more time you're spending praying, he will reveal himself to you. So that when he does speak, and he speaks in only a way, that, that a way that only you will understand, that you will comprehend. The word says that my sheep hear my voice. They, they, they know when I'm calling, he says. You'll know when the Lord's speaking to you. But if you don't spend any time in the word, if the only time you spend reading the Bible is just on 6 a.m. when one of us gets on the Zoom and we, we talk to you about it, you ain't going to hear God. If this is your only time from 6 to 630 or 6 to 645, as some of the other, other guys, they, they, they kind of get long winded. I ain't going to drop no names. But if this is, the, this is the only time you spend digging into the word. You might as well just stop. You might as well just stop. Because you're not really going to get anything out of it. You need to continually be digging into the word. After we log off, throughout the day, meditating on the word. Having your own personal time. Why do we think that our, our senior pastor, our lead pastor, Pastor Brennan, is, is the way he is? 
when it comes to the word, because yes, he spends hours and hours on a weekly basis digging into word to prepare a message. And then he puts that aside and spends his own personal time with the Lord. That's the only way you can do it, brothers and sisters, with your own personal time. And that's how we're going to know God speaking. That's when we're going to hear his voice. That's when we're going to hear his plan. All right, let me finish. Last verse, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? Angels are ministering spirits. They're not governing spirits. They're not just spirits uh, 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 to serve. You know, dominion is not their calling. That's our calling. We were called to have dominion over the earth. But Jesus is also called a servant and a minister, just like the angels. But this is a part of his voluntary um, humiliation. He voluntarily came down and became a servant. The word says he came to serve, not to be served. But the angels are commanded to serve God. However, he shares his servants with redeemed man and woman. This shows the great love God has for us and how he wants to share all things with us, even his ministering spirits, his angels. So I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, dig into the word. Ask God for guidance. Ask God to reveal things to you. When you're stressed, you don't got it. You don't have to pray to no angels because they ain't going to work. Don't pray to no angels. Don't pray to no saints. Don't pray. Pray to Jesus, period. Point blank. End of story. Pray to Jesus. And I'm telling you, there will be a shift in your circumstances. There will be a shift in your family. And you may not see it right away, but we have the assurance that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask, think, or imagine. God is able to do that. And all we have to do is ask. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when you ask God for something, there's probably a good chance he's not going to give it to you exactly the way you want it. Matter of fact, he might outright say no, but I promise you, I promise you as God is my witness and as all the other the, the elders on this, uh, uh, on the Zoom call as my witness, he will give it, give you something even greater and something you didn't even think was possible. Something you didn't never thought could even happen. Something you never even thought about. And he will drop it on your lap so that you can only say, Thank God. Thank you, God, for what you did. Not for what I did. Not for what somebody else did. Thank you, God. Because you've taken me to a place and to a level that I didn't think I could go. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. and We just thank you for your word, Lord God. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, down to, to be the ultimate sacrifice for us, to, to take on all sin and shame and everything upon himself so that we never would have had to. Father, we recognize and we acknowledge that we don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve to be saved by you, but you chose us. You came down to this sin-filled world because you chose us and you have always wanted to be in relationship and communion with us. So, Father, we thank you because we are not worthy. And I pray that we never look to ourselves as if we're doing anything, Father, but we continue, continually look to you, Lord God. I pray that our focus is always on you. 
I pray that as we go throughout our days and we're dealing with our families and our coworkers and our bosses and every other thing in the world, but our focus remains on you. Our eyes are, are fixed on you at all times, Lord God. Father, we pray that you just continue to reveal things to us, speak to us, Father Lord. Bring these verses to remembrance throughout our day and give us ways that we can apply them to our lives. Oh Lord, we just thank you so much and we love you. In the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much. And I'll see you again next week. God bless.